Podcast Land. This is Severin. And Ambrosia. And welcome to another episode of The Original Designated Drinkers, the podcast where we dive deep into drinking one libation at a time. Tell us who today's podcast is going to be brought to us by. Today we are with Jason Pra covering wine pairing. Ooh, so we're not always doing horror booze, we're doing doing regular booze. Today. I know, I'm really excited to be doing something fermented. We've only done one other fermented show. Okay. Well, um, have our guests with us. Let's get into it. All right. Um, so, welcome, Jason. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, so, Jason grew up in a small town in northeastern Wisconsin. Uh, he has a BFA degree in musical theater performance um, and moved to Chicago with his lovely wife, shout out to Crescent, <laughs> in 1998. Um, and this dude has done everything for wine. Okay. Well, that's, well what's, what's everything? Um, so do, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about everything? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, basically I started working as a, uh, like a, you know, dishwasher back in Wisconsin at a little supper club, um, which is kind of classic up there in Northeast Wisconsin. And I uh, just to kind of have some extra money during the summer. So I was probably about 15 years old at the time. And uh, at that time, I was always thinking about uh, in my mind when I was washing dishes, I always think about that it was like a competition, like a world competition for dishwashing, you know, like who could clean the pots the best and the fastest. Yeah. And, uh, and then from there, I ended up being like a bus boy and, you know, um, went to college, worked all the way through, you know, being, uh, working in restaurants while I wasn't doing theater stuff. And then moved to Chicago in like 1998 and, uh, started at a place called the Italian village, uh, which is the oldest restaurant in Chicago. Uh, and, uh, started as a server there. And at one point I started kind of, uh, I have to say it came completely out of greed. I was a server back then, loved to go to nightclubs. And uh, so I was like, if I can, you know, make an extra 60 bucks here and there, you know, gets me to the club, gets me a couple extra drinks or what have you. And uh, so I started to kind of think about wine a little bit and started to study it. And I went up to the wine director at the time. Uh, it was a, it was a grand award winning wine list for wine spectator, which is the highest award you can get. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went up to him and I was like, Hey, you know, you think I could uh, be a part of the wine program? And he's like, yeah, sure go start putting those boxes away, which I did for like six months mm -hmm. uh, before he finally let me come and start tasting wine with him. And uh, so that was a great moment, you know, and then from there on, I've basically been in the wine career forever since, you know, but in various forms, uh, I had a wine bar for a while called Bascule down on Taylor Street. Uh, that was awesome. But, uh, you know, location, location, location. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a year and a half. Um, and uh, I was also the general manager and wine director of a, a two-star Michelin restaurant called Acadia. Uh, which was great, you know, took that from being a brand new opening all the way to one star Michelin to two star Michelin uh, as the wine director and the general manager there. So that was pretty cool. Best New Year's Eve parties <laughs> yeah, ever. We had, we had some really crazy after parties for New Year's Eve. The, after the first year, we were like, we need to hire security for these things, man, because it got <laughs> it got out of control. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was sounds like I know where I'm coming. <laughs> well, they're, they're closed now, uh, maybe to reopen. I don't know. But um, darn it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and so from there, you know, I basically uh, ended up coming to work on the, uh, I worked for a distributor for a little while and then came to the supplier side, working for a company called Strategic Group, uh, which represents the Moet Hennessy portfolio uh, uh, in Chicago, for at least I represent it in Chicago here. So all their spirits, their wines uh, and champagnes. Mm -hmm. um, you brought us some wine today. I did. What are we going to start with? Let's let's uh, get some wine in our glasses yeah, before for we sure. continue. I think we should start uh, with a little bit of a cloudy bay Sauvignon Blanc. 
Sauvignon Blanc. Exactly. <laughs> so, Sav, what, when I told you that we were going to do wine pairing today, what did you what did you think about that? I was down. I'm, I'm with it. I like wine. Um, everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody likes wine, but wine is is, is wine is fine. Wine is fine. It's part of the it's part of the party. I mean, it, it it has its place. So I have nothing bad to say about wine. I'm pretty adventurous. I try it all. So awesome. Cheers. Nice. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So do you want to tell us about this? Yeah, for sure. So Cloudy Bay. Uh, this is coming from Marlboro, New Zealand. Uh, and so, you know, down in the southern part of the hemisphere, kind of an interesting part of that story is that their harvest is the exact opposite of ours. So when we think about our fall, uh, it's actually their spring down there. Um, so the vintages usually come out quicker when you're down in the southern hemisphere uh, for that reason. Uh, Cloudy Bay is really kind of the premier uh Sauvignon Blanc producer, really, uh, for New Zealand. Um, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc wasn't even a thing until probably about the 80s. Um, as a matter of fact, in this, like back in the 70s, there was maybe only one or two producers that would actually make it. And, uh, you know, they started, Cloudy Bay was really kind of the first brand to really get out there and get it into the public's eye a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's a very unique style. So it's way different than like a Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc that you might have or like a Sancerre, uh, which is uh, Sauvignon Blanc from coming from the Loire Valley in France. Um, these tend to have a little bit more of like a, a gooseberry, you know, really like a, it's kind of grapey, you know, on the palate, I think, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it definitely has like gooseberry. It's got a little bit of uh, of. Uh, Sometimes they'll say like uh, cat pee a little bit to the aromatic. Uh oh, here we go. Block. Here we go. You know, get into these extravagant <laughs> tastings. Yeah, a actually, Sub, I'd like to hear your tasting notes on this one. Um, well, I didn't pick up cat pee, but <laughs> let's see what I did pick up. Uh, well, like you said, grapey. Um, it works on the front of the palate as well as well as the back. Like when it's going down, I got a little tingle there. Um, the look of the bottle is kind of skewing or or pushing my notes a certain direction. So it kind of feels like it tastes like mist, like if you were walking through. A mountain range it tastes misty it tastes so you're getting like fresh mountain air or are you getting like the mist of like a sea maybe like some saline to it or are you getting a mist from uh, a really humid day that's kind of bogging you down more of yeah like a humid type of day I mean it's a humid day outside now and this kind of tastes like outside if it was in the morning morning dew yeah like that mm-hmm I can see that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what I usually do is I um, describe the bottle, read the bottle and everything else. It's not much to read on this bottle, so just it's a nice green bottle with a Cloudy Bay, New Zealand. It looks like a mountain range that Bob Ross might paint on there. <laughs> um, Sauvignon Blanc 2020. Not much, not, not a lot to the bottle, so you guys won't have to be tortured with my reading and my accents of because I don't even know what a New Zealand accent is. I was actually watching uh, <laughs> what we do in the shadows this morning. Got some good New Zealand uh, vampire comedy going on. It's a very specific accent. It's like Flight of the Concords accent. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm not going to try it. So <laughs> I won't torture the listeners for this, this episode. Right. And so why did you pick this, uh, 
Why'd you pick this white out? Well, I picked this because I think it's a really classic example of Sauvignon Blanc, especially uh, kind of New World Sauvignon Blanc. So when you talk about like New World versus Old World, what you're kind of talking about is countries that have kind of been known for producing wine like France, Italy, uh, Spain, I think I would consider in that category. And then you have the New World where you, th- you talk about people who haven't really been shipping wine. They might be making wine for hundreds of years, but they haven't really weren't shipping it out. Uh, back until, you know, maybe like in the 60s or 70s, things like that. So like New Zealand is in that category. Um, I would say, you know, United States is definitely in that category. Argentina is in that category. South Africa. South Africa. Although South Africans would would be pissed off about that because they're like, we've been making wine here for, you know, thousand years. Centuries. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But no one knew that they were making wine and they weren't shipping it out. You know, that's one of the, I think, the things that's really interesting about wine is, you know, when you talk about like the new world or old world kind of scenario. Or ancient world. Or ancient world. Is that like wine's got to get somewhere for people to taste it to then become popular. You know, so if you think about Bordeaux, which has been, a, a you know, probably the most prolific wine region in the world mm-hmm. for a long time. I mean, one of the reasons for their success is they're right at a port city. So they make the wine right there. They put it in barrels. They can put it on the ship and they can send it wherever. Now that's tougher when you're like coming from like, let's say the center of Spain, like a place like Rioja, right? Which is known for making red wine of Tempranillo until there were refrigerated trucks or there were railroad trains. You know, there was no way that you could get that wine to a port city to ship it out to the rest of the world. So those are, those are, a lot of those places are kind of where you, um, you know, kind of see like they're old world wines, but they're, they, they, they seem new to us because they haven't been on the market as long as like Bordeaux and stuff like that. So it's like a, you don't know what you don't know type exactly. of situation. If they, if, if you don't know it exists, you don't know what it tastes like. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. But with Cloudy Bay, you know, I think it's an iconic brand for sure. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people, when they, when they think about New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, they think about Cloudy Bay. Um, and you know, I liked it because I think of like you were talking about that kind of ocean mist, that kind of misty morning sort of scenario. Um, you know, there is like a, uh, there is, there's a, a pungency to the wine, you know, the aromatics are very kind of dramatic, you know, they're rich. Um, there is like this sort of, you know, uh, perfumey sort of thing going on on the nose. And I like it because of the acidity, which I think is important when we're talking about pairings. You know, I think that's a, um, something that's a key component, I think, when you're talking about pairing wine. Yeah, so let's let's jump into pairings. So I've got a question for you. Absolutely, I'm ready. Uh, does this wine punch you in the squirters? Well, that's why I said it hits me in the back <laughs> of the palate, so yes. It gets you right here, right? Yeah, right, right in the back. Right yeah. in the jowls. And that's that's a note for me that it's it's going to be highly acidic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if it makes you salivate, like, you know, there is, like, a lot of citrus fruit, right? Like, if you were going to bite into a lemon or a lime, it's kind of give going to give you the same sort of feeling, yeah, you know, yeah. that it's going to make that. your mouth, mouth water, you yeah. know? Yeah, so let's talk about the five different components uh, or category or uh, characterizations of wine, rather, that we're really talking about. Um, acidity mm-hmm. is one. Um, sweetness tannin, alcohol, and body. Mm-hmm. And these are the five components that we're going to be looking at in wine in order to know how to pair them. Uh, so let's start with acidity with this. So acidity, you know, when you're thinking about, again, you're going back to like that idea of citrus, right? Um, and a kind of a funny little side note is like, let's say tomatoes mm-hmm. have the same amount of acidity as a lemon, 
which is crazy because you wouldn't think so, but they really do. Like mm. they're the same acidic quality. Mm -hmm. um, so acid is what kind of, for me anyway, is going to be indicative of a cooler climate wine, typically speaking. Um, it's going to be refreshing. It's going to be bright. It's going to be wine that you want to kind of keep coming back and drink, you know, because it is like a le like lemonade, right? Like it's you yeah, it's keep refreshing. Going. Yeah, it's yeah, refreshing. Keep going. And so, like the acidity in wine is really important. It's also kind of that's part of one of the architectural components of wine. I think in terms of longevity, uh, is tannin is part of that acid for sure. You know that kind of composes like what the structure of the wine is. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, a, a lot of typically speaking, wines that have higher acid will also, not always, but generally speaking, will also age longer. They have the capability to age longer. Yeah, okay. exactly. Good way to put it. Got it. And then, so sweetness, this wine has no residual sugars. No, I would say this wine is dry. Um, and uh, so they're fermenting all the sugar out. You know, basically when you're talking about fermentation, which I'm sure you guys have talked about before, you've got those yeasts going crazy for the sugar, which then creates alcohol. And uh, so, you know, this wine is definitely dry. So fermented dry, vinified dry. Um, and sweetness, you know, you're talking about residual sugar left in the bottle, right? So like if you look at... Uh, like a late harvest, you know, Gewürztraminer or something like that, where they're leaving the grapes hang on the vine for a long time. Mm -hmm. The longer the vine, is, or the, sorry, the longer that the grape is on the vine, the more sugar it's going to concentrate. And the then the higher the sugar concentration is going to be in that grape or in that wine, typically speaking. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So then we have tannin. We had a, a great pre-show pre meeting about tannin. Um, but in my notes, I, I'd like to talk about the, the quality and the intensity. And obviously, not maybe not obviously, uh, but tannin, we will get into more when we get into the roses and the red. Um, but you want to talk about the tannin component? Yeah, so tannin is, uh, is also an important part of the structure of a wine. Uh, so it's, again, part of that architecture, as I mentioned. So tannin is really coming from primarily, you know, there's, there's a lot of debate about this, but primarily I think it comes, I would say it comes from two places. One, it's the grape itself, uh -huh. uh, which that includes the skin of the grape. Uh, it also includes, you know, if they're like the, the seeds in the grape, and it also could include the stem if they're, if they're going to vinify that all together, you know, do stem inclusion, if you will. Um, and then the other component of that is you get tannin from wood. So when you put it in So barrel, that's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where I thought it just came from wood. I didn't know it came from the grape in the stem. So yep, absolutely. So like makes sense. Though. Yeah, so thicker skin grapes are going to have more tannin than thinner skin grapes usually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, alcohol? Alcohol is important, too. Uh, you know, when you talk about, like, it, you know, when you're talking about food and wine pairing particularly, uh, wines that are high in alcohol usually are going to need something that has a little bit more oomph to it in terms of, like, what the food is. Um, you know, alcohol, you know, byproduct of fermentation. I find that wines that are I, I am a fan of wines that are not super high in alcohol. You know, I think they're more well-balanced. I think you get more of a true expression of fruit out of them. Mm -hmm. Where, like, we've all had a wine that, like, let's say someone has brought to a party where, you know, it's five ninety nine like, uh, for a Magnum <laughs> or something, and you're like, what the hell is this? It's, like, so juicy and sweet, and, like, you know, you don't really get any, like anything interesting out of it out of it and a lot of times when they're boozy like that you kind of lose you kind of get lose a buzz them. out of it i think that's the, that, that's what you get out <laughs> of it should accomplish. <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> yeah. uh and finally sweetness and alcohol content do contribute to the body yeah so i f for sure and i think for me you know because sweetness you know when everyone talks about like 
when you tour your glass or whatever, you know, if you look at the tiers or the, you know, uh, the legs, as they might call it, mm-hmm. that could indicate if they are slow to come down the glass, that there's a lot of sugar in the wine mm-hmm. um, or alcohol because alcohol is very, is very visceral. Surface tension. Surface tension. Yeah. And so like basically uh, body for me, a lot of times is indicative of alcohol because of the glycerin quality to it, the thickness of it, like motor oil, basically, if you're thinking about it with alcohol, yeah. the higher the alcohol, the more you're going to have that viscosity to the wine, gotcha. which I think leads to body most of the time. Great. Gotcha. So with all of these components uh, and looking at this cloudy bay, what would you pair with it? So I think there's two ways to kind of look at pairing, I think. Um, and one of them is it's basically compare and contrast, right? And you can do one of each or, you know, like you basically it's kind of one or the other a lot of times when you're thinking about it. Like things, a couple of key things that I think to talk about when you're talking about pairings are the weight of the wine and the weight of the dish. So I got a great story, actually. So I want to preface this because I, I always tell this story when I talk about wine pairings. So I used to work at this restaurant years ago, and it was one of my first wine director jobs. And I mean, to be honest, I really didn't know what the fuck I was doing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I was just faking it till I made it, you know? Yeah. But I would have to do these wine classes and, you know, talk to the servers and stuff like that about how, you know, how to pair wine. And there was this dude, and I always give him credit. I won't say his last name, but his name is Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And Mitchell was kind of like the stoner cat, you know, who would just always killed it on the floor but you could tell he was always just high as hell you know yeah and uh so i'm like trying to like struggle for the words to talk about how you know food and wine pairings he's like man it's just like like wine's the second sauce man and i was like (laughs) i was like are you fucking kidding me dude like you seriously just nailed that like that like you know what i mean and so that's kind of where i always come from honestly even working like in a two-star michelin restaurant when i did pairings is like mitchell's always in my head you know what i mean like you know if i could take this wine and I could pour it onto whatever I'm eating, and mm-hmm. it would still be palatable, mm-hmm. then you're on the right track at least, you know? So, I mean, for me, like, if, if you were doing, like, sardines, I think would be good with this, you know? So you got salty, so you got the salty going on yeah, there yeah, with yeah. the acid. Salt I think and it, acid, yep. Yep. And then you also, like, I think if, you know, a lot of, like, salads, like a pear salad or something like that, you know, I think would be really good. Uh, white fish that's just, like, simply grilled with maybe, like, you know, lemon or something like that would mm-hmm. be really good. Oysters, mm-hmm. uh, classic oyster wine, because, again, you have that saltery, savory, you know, going with kind of the fruity, uh, you know, high acid wines. So, I mean, that's kind of the direction I would go. You know, one of the things that I would like to just kind of say, too, about, like, pairing, too, is I've always thought about, White wine is kind of like a jazz trio. So for me, like almost the more, the more complex, the more complex dishes you have, sometimes it's better to go like with, I usually pair with white wines a lot of time mm-hmm. because for me, you have acid, you have fruit, you know, and, and, and you have like this just sort of, you know, an alcohol, right? So you have those three things kind of playing in harmony together, but you can totally tell a fault in a, in a white wine way easier than you can a red wine because you can hide a lot of stuff in a red wine. So for me, red wine is more like a symphony. You know, if the oboe is like a little bit out of tune... You wouldn't be able to hear it. You might not hear it, okay. you know. So you, there's a little bit more forgiveness, I think, with red wine than there is with white wine, uh, which is why I always, like, have a great time, like, pairing food with uh, white wine. So I didn't know... Wild. I didn't know the wines had a fault. It was something like not right in there. Remember, we, we can harken back to a different episode where you you never tasted a bad whiskey. Yes, yes, yes. I can't yes, wait yes. to post that photo. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, you, when I was letting that out and saying I didn't know, I thought of that myself. I said, yeah, I, yes. 
It tastes like there's, banana or something. There's like faulted no, wine. No, it, 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 it <laughs> tasted worse than a banana. Maybe a spoiled banana. A spoiled banana. <laughs> with, with maggots crawling out of it. <laughs> so when we're talking about um, pairing, like Jason said, we have congruent, which means many shared components. And this can be pairing acid with acid, pairing sweetness with sweetness, uh, pairing body uh, in the same kind of weight and intensity to it. Uh, or you can even pair dishes that come with the same terroir as the wine is. So a classic New Zealand dish might go really well with a New Zealand wine. And then you have complementary, where they have very few shared components. And there's been a lot of research done and a lot of ways that we know that certain things cancel out other things. So take beer, for example. Beer mm -hmm. is very sweet. It's extraordinarily sweet. The reason that people don't think that beer is sweet is because it has hops in it, which is a bitterness. And so the bitterness counterbalances with the sweet and lets you perceive it in a much mild form on both ends. Okay. So acidity balances with sweetness. Acidity also uh, balances with fat um, and a couple of other things. And we've brought some some experimentation for that with you. Let's do it. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, an interesting thing to think about, like, first of all, is like butter, because if you think about most restaurants you go to and you're talking, or even when you're cooking, butter makes it better, right? That's always kind of the Everything thing. better with butter. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, Ambrosia would totally nail it. Like, you know, it's either like what what is like, where is it finding harmony with the dish? And then where is it also finding dissonance? You know, like where, like what's missing from the dish that might, this wine might add like so if you have a dish that's maybe a little spicy you know uh like a basil chicken or something that's kind of spicy this wine will kind of help tone that down although the higher the acid it's also going to make the same thing with tan it's going to make that like spice be even a little bit more pronounced mm -hmm. yeah but so yeah let's uh, so if you take taste the, yeah go ahead yeah go ahead and taste the wine first taste the wine first because i'll be interested to see you know kind of what your take is on it once you once you taste it so we've tasted the wine yep and then we're right. going to put spoonfuls of Spoonful butter in our mouth. butter, the best thing for you. That cuts that butter right in half. <laughs> that was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, 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 I've never seen you smile so big. <laughs> that, that, that made it that much better. I mean... If I knew butter and wine went together like that, oh, I might be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so like a, a poached scallop, like a bo poached buttered scallop might go really well with this wine. Let's do the, uh, let's do the other end. Let's go, um, let's go with something spicy. I like it. And spice is always tricky with wine, for sure. All right. So I drink the wine first, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, mm, mm So if you notice, I mean, in my, my impression anyway, the heat just rides that wine, right? There's The wine is almost like metallic. It loses its acid. It's, it's just kind of dull, right? I mean, the, the basic things that we liked about the wine the first time around are all missing now, you know, and the heat is just all on top of it. So what I would say when you're talking about like butter. when your parent, yeah. yeah, the butter's butter's better for sure. <laughs> I need more butter. But yeah, like, you, you know, but that's an important component though of wine pairing is that like, so if you have something spicy like this, that's where you want to go into something sweet. And that's where you talk about that contrasting, you know, 
uh, kind of idea of flavor profile. So you would want something that's going to have like a lot of sweetness to it, um, like a like a older reason, like a sorry, not an older reasoning, but like a reasoning that's been like you know spate lace, oslesa, like maybe baron oslesa, like so a sweeter version of that wine because that helps. Moscato, Moscato diasti, actually perfect because mm-hmm. um, that would definitely tone down the spicy notes. Oh yeah. All right. Well, let's let's uh, Can, let's do something to fix this. Yeah, please. Yeah, Can right. we let's move on to the next? Yeah, let's do it. Next wine. Yep. All right. So the next wine that we have here is Newton, uh, which is uh, unfiltered. This is Napa Valley Chardonnay, and it was really tragic because Newton, which is a beautiful winery in Napa Valley, uh, was kind of fell victim to that big fire, all those fires that happened. Oh, yeah. So they have a lot of rebuilding to do. Um, so hopefully, you know, they will they will come back full and strong. Uh, but Newton, a classic uh, producer out of Napa Valley. So it, cheers to Newton. Cheers to Newton. I hope, they, uh, I hope they recover. Yeah, no doubt. 2017, um, darker green as a bottle, has a single tree, Newton, Napa Valley, Chardonnay, unfiltered. Yep. So that's a tree that they've actually left in the vineyard uh, in order, you know, kind of as an iconic, uh, you know, in the middle of the vineyards. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure if that tree exists anymore, but it definitely did in the past. But so one of the things, you know, I'll say that I, f- I feel like you're going to get on the nose immediately is the impression of oak. You know, there's definitely oak on this wine. And where where is that coming from? Like to me, it's like nutmeg. It definitely smells like butter popcorn. Uh, you know, you get a little bit of vanilla. Um, and it definitely has like a just like a toasted like a butter t- you know toast with butter on it that's kind of exactly what it smells like i forgot to smell it first but yes that's exactly what it, sm- it smells like toast it smells like buttered popcorn yep uh how would you pair this one so all right so we got chardonnay here which could run the gamut of a lot of different things you know chardonnay can be like super steely and lean uh or chardonnay can be super slutty and like super rich um and so by slutty i mean you know kind of lower acid higher alcohol more of that butter popcorn you know <laughs> you know just like the just like just like a date you know just, <laughs> just like a slut <laughs> i mean you said it i'm just <laughs> Chardonnay is also, uh, I think Chardonnay is a, a very um, hated on grape because a lot of people associate Chardonnay with being that buttery slut. But first of all, let's prop up the sluts because I appreciate that. And also, oh, yeah. um, you get a lot of Chardonnay in Champagne. You do. I mean, that's one of the principal, uh, you know, grapes of Champagne. Uh, I want some more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cheers not you. I want some more. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, yeah, you're right. Not so serious. like, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say to you right now, I love myself a slutty Chardonnay. I do. I, I, you know, I just love the opulence of it. There's not a lot of grapes that can get away with being that rich and that like giving uh, without, you know, but st- and still have complexity and still have like, you know, acidity. Um, so I really, I love Chardonnay. I really do. Like, it's probably my favorite grape variety. Like if you drink a, a French white Burgundy, well, there's no other Burgundy other than French white Burgundy, but like Burgundies are to me like the tippy top of wine. And those are all Chardonnays. They're all Chardonnays. Okay. Unless it's a red Burgundy and then it's Pinot Noir. Or if you're down in the Macon, then it can be a Gamay. And it also can be a Sauvignon Blanc in one little place. In, in a tiny little place. Well, that's, it's all, that's all some too, Sorry, too nerdy shit. Sorry, right there, <laughs> If you could see my face of <laughs> bewilderment, because I'm like, oh. Like, oh. <laughs> Did you not think that I was not going to nerd out? 
I just, you know, sometimes I don't feel comfortable calling you a nerd. But right now, yes, you are. I'd rather like you call a me a nerd, nerd than a hippie. <laughs> okay. I think I'd rather be called a hippie than a nerd, to be honest that's, with you. So I guess we're a good pair. That's here. fair, Mr. Grateful Dead over there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm going to try and not call anybody any names other than <laughs> their names. So. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, so Chardonnay, so Chardonnay is, you know, again, by category. There's a, you know, it depends on what the Chardonnay is, because like I said, if it's a Chablis, which is coming from like Northern Burgundy, it's going to be lean, steely, typically speaking, uh, you know, like, like white peach, uh, and really bright and acidic Newton, I think is one of those wines that's definitely in the opulent category. Um, I don't think that I would put this in the slutty category necessarily, because there are wines that are a little bit like richer and like. More salacious, I guess you could say. Than yeah, this, this is one. much more austere. But definitely has, you know, that that batonage with the lee stirring and like the the coconut, not coconut necessarily, a little coconut, but like you know, butter popcorn and like you know those kind of uh, you know vanilla tones and things like that. So for me, Chardonnay of this category, a couple things that I think about immediately uh, are like lobster seafood you know lobster particularly mm -hmm. um something oily fish you know something that's going to be rich um i mean you could even do like a pork dish with something like this that has like apples you know something with a butter sauce um chardonnay is pretty pretty uh rangy again in terms of like how it is is its personality is but for this particular chardonnay you know i think you're, you're looking at like lobster you know you're looking at uh something you know i think uh you know, you could go chicken dishes, you know, again, we were talking about Chardonnay being part of Champagne, you know, one of the classic pairings uh, that has kind of in recent really been embraced is like Champagne and fried chicken, because uh, fried foods, I think goes really well with high acid, again, talking about like the saltiness, you know, the richness, butteriness, mm -hmm. uh, the acid uh, always cuts through. Um, but so, you know, a lot of opulent, I think more like opulent dishes, scallops, we talked about earlier. Um Let's uh, let's we've got two, two other tasters here. Let's do a taste of the Chardonnay and a pinch of salt. Yeah, I think this is a good idea. Okay. Sure. So that's like the um, salt that goes on the popcorn. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what you think, but I think salt with this wine, it doesn't really change much how the wine is, like is expressed. I mean, it does it does take away a little bit of the oakiness, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it works really nicely. You know what I mean? I think salt with this wine works pretty well. It, it feels a little more acidic. It lifts the acid for mm -hmm. sure, which I think salt does. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't really take away from the wine, right? But one of the things that I will tell you that I always think that this is this is always like a number one like no no when it comes to pairing food and wine, is salt or I'm sorry sugar, is always terrible for wine for the most part. Great, so we're about to have fun. Yeah, we're about to have a terrible experience. I wish y'all would quit giving me the bad stuff <laughs> last. <laughs> Give me the bad stuff first so mm. I can end on a high note. Oh, that's not. That's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. So, like, sugar will just kill fruit in wine. So, and I like, like sugar. I like sugar, too. I like sugar, too. But that's where, the, when you start talking about, like, the compare and contrast. So, if I'm doing a, a dessert course, you know, if you're at home and you're making an apple pie or you're doing something, you know, like a, a, a creme brulee or something like that, this is not the wine you want to pair, right? Because what it does is it, 
it the sugar just kills the fruit in wine. And what it leaves it with is the acidity and like a metallic sort of finish. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just like mutes the wine completely. There's no like mid palate to the wine. It just like makes a flat line, which is a terrible pairing, you know? And one thing that a caveat that I will say is that for anyone listening, like they're like, well, you know what? I like to have shrimp and Cabernet Sauvignon. God bless you. I don't care. Like if, if that's your perfect pairing and that's what you love, then keep love on, it and in, enjoy it. You know what I mean? I'm not here to say that there's a perfect right or wrong because it's really about individual palate and individual, you know, perspective. So like there is no perfect pairing. You know, there's always a reason you can justify something and why there's reasons, you know, physiologically speaking, why things don't necessarily work right. You know, like we tried with the spiciness yeah. or the butter, which were great, yeah. but the spiciness didn't work so great. Um, but like, you know, there's never a right or wrong answer. I just think that there are directions you can go that are going to make you enjoy what you're having a little bit more, you know what I'm saying? Than throwing a dart. That's what I appreciate about, um, pairing anything like with food. I mean, as far as, um, whiskeys, bourbons, uh, cognacs, anything you should like to pair with food because, the way it's served and the way that you like it served sometimes are two totally different things. And if you like red with shrimp, then hey, rock out with that. If you want to put all the ice cubes in your whiskey, and that's totally up to you. But I just don't like when people kind of make faces at things people do. If if that's what you like, that's what you like. Let me show you or tell you about another way, but. My way isn't always the right way. Exactly. Yeah. And I will tell you, Ambrosia and I were talking about this on the break, is that, you know, wine kind of gets this bad rap as being pretentious. And I think that's sometimes the, because of the people who are the gatekeepers and the people who feel like they're, you know, the people who are the representative of, like, wine across the world. You know what I mean? Some of those people are full of shit, man. Like, a lot of times when people talk to you in a pretentious way or they try to talk over you, it's because they don't actually have the knowledge and they don't have the understanding. So they're just trying to make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's a, that's a bad rap that a lot of sommeliers get. You know what I mean? So, like, the idea for me as a sommelier in a restaurant is all you are is a conduit between someone who fucking grows grapes and makes wine mm-hmm. and someone who eats food in your restaurant. Yep. And if you're not doing the job of connecting those dots, then you're just an asshole. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're just doing it. You're in the game for yourself, not for like the greater good. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's one of the things with pairings that I think is really important is like, you know, don't get too caught up in it. If it tastes good, it tastes good, man. If it doesn't taste good, it doesn't, it, you know, it reminds me of a movie I saw on Netflix and I can't think of the name of it, but it was about a um, black guy who his father wanted him to take over a soul food restaurant. Oh, uh, yeah. I saw this one and he wanted to be a sommelier and uncorked uncorked. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's yeah, it. That's a good one. And it not the, not the sommeliers themselves, but the people that were teaching them just seemed like the biggest assholes ever in the history of life. They were like, he's like, it has a taste of vanilla. No, it's vanilla bean. <laughs> like, what's the difference? Yeah, I mean, so, like, it, it just was re- really interesting to see how that world is and how hard it was for my man in the movie to get in there. It, yeah. it, just, it was a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I know master sommeliers, you know, that are have put in so much work and they're like, you know, are amazing. And I know, you know, people who have barely worked in the industry that sometimes have as much understanding in terms about food and wine, not necessarily about, you know, perfect like knowledge about 
particular areas and such. But like, I think a lot of it is kind of shooting from the hip. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, does this make sense? You know, um, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that gets studied so much. Uh, and so many people kind of like go after like the pins and like the certifications and things like that, which I think is great. I mean, it shows that you put a lot of work in mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I mean, we all know what, like what we like, what we don't like. And again, going back to the idea of like, you're a conduit, man, you know, and at the end of the day, like I'm just trying to facilitate, I'm trying to bring someone's hard work that they've, you know, maybe the family's been having this estate for a thousand years. I'm just trying to bring to life what they've been creating and bringing it to you in a different setting. Cause obviously we're not going to be having dinner at maybe their estate, you know, right, we're having right. it in Chicago versus in France, but my job is just to be like the, you know, the storyteller really at the end of the day, you know, it's like, why, why does this make sense? Why does it resonate with me? Why should it resonate with you? Why does it resonate with them? You know, I think at the end of the day, it's about the farmers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so why if, I left, I left wine to go to cider. Well, I was going to ask about not being a, in them at all in my pop sommelier career. We're still crawl- we're calling out all pop sommeliers. I mean, I'm just saying, what burger pairs with a Coke better than... RC? A Pepsi. Yeah, RC Ooh. is good. RC is good. We need this pop... RC is good. Again, RC we're doing another on. call out for all no? those pop sommeliers. <laughs> we need you. To come through. See, one of the things... We're I, having a pop taste. So for me, I, I, would, I would love to be a part of that. Because also one of the things I would say is... So I'm gonna I'm gonna You're call invited. that I'm gonna call that Johnny's Beef on North Avenue out in El, <laughs> what is it Elmwood Park or El, Elmhurst Elmwood Park I think. Anyway, they do it a great beef, but the best for me is a is like grape soda, grape soda with a spicy Italian beef. Oof, that's a great pairing. Right there, there you go. Some, <laughs> All right, we've got our first evidence of a pop sommelier. We, right we here. got somebody coming through. He he, he not so just happy. said he not just did a pop sommelier. He did the pairing to go with it as well. <laughs> so I'm with, I said a burger. He said the specific beef was spicy with the peppers on it and everything else. I'm with it. <laughs> I'm with it. I can't wait. So what's, oh, are we are we moving to the next one now? Yeah, let's, let's on to the next one. Yeah, why not? So we'll go with some rosé here, um, which is, you know, a really cool category. I think it, you know, it used to be. That most people just thought like grandma drank rosé, and because you know rosé gets a bad gets a bad uh, uh, rap, I think. Not in my world. Not in um, our world, but when you think about it, it's making me think of rappers. Rosé. Yeah. Really. Like, like Rick Ross. All right. Rosé. I love it. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> so like so one of the things that I think rosé got a bad rap with. Is back like in the 70s and 80s when White you had Zen. like, yeah, White Zin, you know, and the blush wines, right, which are all like sweet, innocuous grapes. You don't even know what's in it, you know. But so this is an area, this is Whispering Angel. Uh, this is probably the most recognized rosé in the world. Uh, it's, it's definitely the largest selling rosé in the world uh, from Provence, which is an area down in the south of France, kind of by like Cannes. And like Saint-Tropez, you know, this is the area of yachts and like people going on vacation from Europe. Uh, Whispering Angel here by Chateau Desclan. Um, so mostly in this wine, what's it, so you have uh, Grenache, which is primarily what's in this wine, and then Roll, uh, which is also called Vermentino. So that's a white grape. So I think the white grape, in my personal opinion, adds a little bit of acidity and a little freshness. The Grenache gives you that strawberry and uh, kind of fruity quality to the wine. Um, but you know, what I love about rosé is that rosé does sometimes give you an effect of tannin because there's certainly red grapes that are in the wine, but it gives you the sense of acidity and freshness. 
that white wine gives you. Um, so it gives you a little bit, you know, it, it kind of like rides that surfboard between like the two categories of white and red. Um, most rosés of serious note are going to be dry, you know. Typically speaking, the darker the rosé gets, the sweeter or fruitier it's going to get. Um, where this in its pale color, kind of salmon in color, um, this wine is dry. It's fruity, you know, and that's, I think, a big, like, uh, separation that people mistake a lot is that there is a difference between fruit and sweetness and sugar. So like a Riesling, everyone is like, I don't drink Riesling because it's sweet. Riesling is one of the, if it's depending on how it's made, I'm going to make that caveat, but most Rieslings that we drink are dry, right? They're fruity though. So we, when we have something that's fruity, we think it's, we think it's going to be sweet and that's not always the case like a lot of people who love napa valley cabernet and they're like i don't drink riesling because it's sweet i'm like dude that cabernet sauvignon has more residual sugar per liter than that rosé does a hundred percent you know what i mean yeah. it just doesn't seem like it because there's higher alcohol and there's more tannin just gotta educate sometimes things yeah. that things that balance out so sub do you know the difference between white wine white wine and red wine one's dark and one's light um, yes perfect. do you know why <laughs> Um, the grapes are different. Their skin is thicker or thinner. So all grape skins that are made, f so all grapes that do wine have thicker skins. But did you know that the Pinot Grigio grape is actually a, a red grape? I did not know that. So the difference between white wine and red wine is the amount of maceration on skin contact that they have. What? So the juice that's coming out of most grapes, uh, when you cut open a grape, you see that the flesh is going to be clear or green. Yes. Uh, so most grapes, not all, uh, when you press them, the liquid that's coming out is clear. The difference between a white wine and a red wine and a rosé is the amount of time that they have in contact with that red skin. The maceration. Mm -hmm. The maceration. Got so it. a rosé has limited Got contact it. with red skin grapes, uh, red, red or you know, black skin uh, of the grapes. And then red wine be has black? a, because we call them black and green. <laughs> That's a joke for my guy yeah. back there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the amount of time that it sits on the skins is going to dictate whether or not it is going to be white, rosé, or red. Got it. So those are our three categories, white, rosé, and red. And then you have orange wine, which is extended skin contact with white skin. Okay, but we don't have so that today, right? Today. No. no. Okay, no. that's no. a that's a different day, different yep. conversation. That's a yes. whole other conversation. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm with it. That's that's what we're here for to have those conversations, but just um, we have to schedule them. Yes. So anyway, um, <laughs> we would. got white, red, and rosé. Now, so what are your tasting notes on this rosé? Um, I don't like it. Oh Why? shoot! Yeah, no, I'm I'm not. So I'm not what a is fan. it? What? All right. So let me ask you this: what What do you taste and okay. feel? And then tell me why you don't like. Which is what a hard thing to do. That's a very hard thing to do. Because it tastes like it doesn't know what it what what it what it wants to be. Okay. It tastes like a mix between. It tastes like too much of an offering of. It doesn't have a distinct smell to it that I can pinpoint. <coughs> um, so the nose I don't really like, and. Like I said, it just kind of doesn't taste like it knows what it wants to be. Okay. That's fair. So I'm going to pass out an umami with this to see what happens. Because for me, I'm getting a lot of musk. I'm getting a lot of, like, herbaceousness from it, uh, which is from the Grenache. 
Now, every other time I said, give me the good one first. This time, maybe because I'm not a Rosé fan. I don't like this one <laughs> at all. I'm not not a fan of this one. Um, this works for me. So yeah, it works for me, too. And here's why. Because, like, all right, if I think of, like, let's say, to me, what th- these two things just tasted, right, like together, right? The Whispering Angel Rosé and that super umami. It almost tastes like a salmon dish. Mm-hmm. That's what, you, you know what, it tastes like sushi. It tastes sushi. like, it tastes 100%. like, not a salmon dish, but it tastes like... <laughs> a Philadelphia roll. Uh, I'm cool you, with that. That you put in um, some soy sauce. Yeah, 100. percent So like, so what's crazy though? So you say you don't like it, but I know what it tastes. But like. But you know what it tastes like, and yeah. it actually comes together to be something more than it is. And I think that's a key component to like wine tasting, mm-hmm. or sorry, not wine tasting, but pairing, mm-hmm. is that sometimes the sum of the parts, some of the parts, when like is more than what you know the original is. Like mm-hmm. when one plus one equals four. Yep. Then, you know, like, so you, like, we just tasted, like, a, you said Philadelphia roll, I think you said, right? Yep, Philadelphia roll. So, yep. like, that all, like, these two just single components made that taste like that in your, you know, in your palate, which I think is really interesting. But I can understand, like, I can understand with rosé, you know, because um, it's tricky. Because it's it's a red wine, uh, you know, in essence, kind of kind of saying that it's a white wine. I feel very... Uh I feel very akin to rosé. You know, just somewhere in the middle. Okay. I I have a oh, confession to make. Oh, you hate this one right, too. Go. I have. So I said the first one was bad, but at least it tasted like something. And <laughs> y'all kept giving me the bad one last. And y'all continued that trend because that tasted like absolute ass. <laughs> <laughs> Oh so my. we just did a champagne vinegar. I'm ah. not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with you on that. To oh, that be was horrible. That was horrible. But you know, I'd be curious. Like, to I would like to try the vinegar with the Sauvignon. Have we done that? We haven't done that. We yet. didn't do the vinegar with the Sauv. Because I think that'd be interesting. I think after we get through to the Malbec, right. we should yeah. go back through right and, yeah. and and taste see. them all again. I got yes, you. What goes like through? It. But I was just trying to see where your barometer is because you said that rosé is too in the middle, right? So going umame not into it going more acid which is traditional with more of a white wine you hated it when, when i go to the sushi restaurant i'll try and order a frosé all right just to just to have fun with it but no thank you um <laughs> <laughs> oh i can't wait so, to do so this guy a couple things that i think so you know when i think about rosé i think it like I think depending again on the concentration of the fruit and the concentration of like, you know, cause like some rosés can be really, really, really like cherry and fruity and like what, you know, whatnot. But like with a wine like this, I think about like a strawberry salad, like a, a spinach salad with like strawberries. I think about salmon, which is like a real easy goat butter cheese, sauce. Yes. Goat cheese would be great. Do you want some butter? Something pungent. Do you want some no, butter? I don't want, no, you, you're not tempting me with butter now. <laughs> I'm going to make up for it no, with some butter. No, thank you. All right. <laughs> I love it. It's, 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 it's not terrible. If somebody gave this to me and said, hey, drink this, I wouldn't be mad at them and throw it at them or anything like that. It's just not what I think I would order when I'm going somewhere. Um, if the sommelier came and brought it to me and said, this pairs well with this and that's what I was ordering, then I can see how it would go with it. But... To do this to myself on purpose, <laughs> I don't think that would be the case. See, this is my go-to. Rosé is my go-to. I call it summer water, a.k.a. bartender juice. 
I drink rosé every day of the week. I, lo- I love, I mean, I do love rosé. I do love rosé. I love rosé, but it's not for everyone. It's not the worst thing I've tasted on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the thing is, is that if it's not for you, it's not for you. So. Well, and that's the thing, like we went back to, right? Like if I'm, you know, if I'm talking to someone and like at a table and this happened at a Katie all the time, right? So people would be like, I fucking hate Riesling. The last thing I'm going to bring, I'm not going to try to change their life. <laughs> you know what I mean? That day. In one sitting. That's not my job. You know what I mean? I'm going to bring them what they want, you know, because they're the customers. So, like, I'm like, I'm not going to challenge them with a Riesling right now. I'm going to find something else, you know, that they might like. That's my total thing on arguments and not even arguments, but conversations that you have with people. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind about anything. I'm just letting you know that there's a difference of opinion. Of course. 100%. And that speaks to blue versus black ink. Just anything. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm just trying to say, hey, it's, you know, it's a broader world. Yeah. What I tell people that come up and say, you know, I hated this. I'm so sorry. Can I swap this out? And I said, life's too short to drink something you don't want to drink. Yeah, totally. There you go. Totally. Don't, don't force it. Don't force it. But we're, we're going into uh, a new wine, which I found out is our, our producer's uh, favorite style. Malbec. Malbec. Yeah, Malbec. So Malbec is uh, an interesting grape category on its own. Uh, so, you know, I was able to be in Cahor, which is in a, a small... Cahor. I, I, don't have to, I don't speak French, so I like if I say it like that, I feel like I'm an idiot. No, you always so sound I say like, like an idiot a, when I, you I, say I, Cahor. Like so it's, it's just like an, it's a horrible word. I just sound like... I take offense to that. All, all the accents I do on this show. Cahor. What's your best accent? None of them. <laughs> African-American male. That's, well, that's, well, that's, you want to try some... Uh, oh, this bottle actually has writing on it. Yeah, here so, you go. It does um, have writing Argentina, on it. so go ahead. High altitude vineyards, Reserva, Teresa Reserva is a blend of Torals. We select among our estate vineyards those that present the most captivating expressions of Malbec. Yeah, I, knew, I know I need glasses, please. <laughs> Through our precision viticulture and accurate winemaking techniques, we create this wine that represents the most genuine expressions of Malbec, delivering elegance, depth, complexity, and harmony. These exceptional terrace vineyards lay between 3,510 and 3,937 feet, the optimum altitude for Malbec in Mendoza. It's amazing because you just made all that shit up right now. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> if only actually say that on the if, bottle. If he only just made, I that could. That was on the fly. <laughs> just it's a new form of rapping for Sev. <laughs> wine b- labels. So Malbec. Uh, so I I just chose I chose Malbec because I think that it's uh, it kind of it kind of uh, fits the bill between like old world, new world grape varieties. You know Malbec. Uh, cheers. cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Um. So Malbec, a very, very dark grape, uh, has a lot of tannin. Uh, it's, you know, really it, its home place is in France in like outside of Bordeaux and the place called Cahors where like foie gras is like, like famous. Do you like foie gras? I love foie gras. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, you got to get that in Gascony. Our, duck on, our, duck on, duck on, duck in Gascony. Our, our buddy here, she out. She's out. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. I know. Uh, 
but uh, it's okay. But, <laughs> it's okay. More for us. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, <laughs> so Malbec is kind of one of those grapes that you find in the old world and the new world. Like the, the new world actually made it popular. The old world, like people are like, I've never heard of Malbec before, except for when it came from Argentina. And it's like, no, dude, this wine's been like grown for thousands of years in France. And like, but people just don't know it. Cause one of the things with like French wine that is really frustrating to most consumers. And I understand it is because people in France in these vineyards have been making wine for like a thousand years. So what they say is like, this wine is called Sancerre because it's from the village of Sancerre. Like they don't, you know, they don't need to, they don't feel like they need to tell people that it's Sauvignon Blanc. You mm. know what I mean? Cause they've been growing it there forever. Same thing with Malbec. Like they call it Cahors, you know what I mean? And like, or they call it Cote is another uh, name for Malbec in, in Southern France. Cause like that's, they've been doing it for so long that they don't need to call it Malbec, you know? And that's one of the really, I, I think the, the greatest uh, things that like the new world that we talked about earlier has done is they were like, people need, people want at least in some of the like markets that are not France or Italy or Spain, they want to see what, like what's in it. Right. So when we go to a wine shop, we're like, I like Cabernet Sauvignon, right? So like you go to the Cabernet Sauvignon aisle and like people will have Cabernet Sauvignon on their on their label, except for maybe some Bordeaux, which is mostly Cabernet Sauvignon, but you would never know that unless you knew that wine, At right? least if it was Left Bank, right? Exactly. So like, so one of the things that the New World did really well is putting what the grape variety is on the label. Because like, how are we supposed to know, like, you know, if that Bourgogne Rouge is going to be Pinot Noir, you know? For unless most you people, you don't know that, you know what I'm saying? Argentina has basically taken what fr the French were doing and made it a little bit more like, uh, you know, fam familiar to like most of the world. And like, that's one of the reasons I think Melbeck has become such a great, like categorically speaking, uh, uh, variety in the world. Malbec to me, it's, it's definitely a tannic variety. Uh, it, to me, there's essences of like white, pe like black pe crushed pepper. Yes. yes. Uh, there's plum. I picked that up the most of pepper. Yeah. The pepper. Totally. I can totally see that. So I'm giving Sev some, some bitter <laughs> to go with the wine. Oh, it makes it taste like medicine. Oh, no. Not even good medicine let, that you want to abuse. It, <laughs> it, it's like. <laughs> so I made a chinchona tea. Before I came here, and I'm going to, in I all fairness, to try this too. I'm going to do it as well. Don't do too much. I found out the hard way that uh, you can get actual heart palpitations from oh my God. Uh, too much quinine. So quinine actually comes from chinchona. So I've steeped the bark in water maceration. This is what. Whoa. This is what you give kids when they curse too much. I would. I would agree with you Ooh, on that. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I kind of like that. Wash your that, mouth That kind of tastes like Lord. Bit. No, it does taste like Malort. No, I'm kind Malort, of into it. Malort tastes better. See, right. that's that's terrible. Now, do we have something to save him? Uh, yes, do some salt. Okay, so this time you're gonna save me with the. I hope so. With the help him out backwards. Because I kind of liked that actually. I think I might just add. So I found out the hard way that extreme amounts of quinine can actually give you heart palpitations because Crazy. I do enjoy that bitter flavor so much that I drink too much chinchona tea. That 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 assists. That assists. So I have a guilty confession to make that may offend some 
real life sommeliers, including yourself. <laughs> I doubt it. Um, my, I shouldn't say that my helps. favorite, but one of the things that I used to like to do when I cooked a lot for myself, and I didn't have to please other people when I was cooking, is yellowtail. They have Malbec, Pinot Grigio, Pinot Noir. I like their um, Shiraz. Shiraz, yeah, I love the Shiraz. They have a lot of, and I would just read the back of the bottle, and I would go and close my eyes, and whatever bottle I pick up and read the back of it, it tells me what it pair well with. That's what I would go get, and that's what I would have for dinner. So, Did it work? It Yes, every time for, for me, because I Good. was making it just for myself. Yep. But um, Malbec was the one that I used to pick a lot, and it used to go very well with chocolate and steaks. Um just uh, that that sweetness in the chocolate. It was dark chocolate mostly, yeah. and and steaks. But that crushed, that that crushed black pepper is what I used to always pick up in in the glass and in the bottle. But yeah. yellowtail, the, that Australian wine with the kangaroo on the front, used to help me out. I I've seen it. Obviously, because it's everywhere. I got to tell you one thing about Yellowtail. And like, obviously, I don't represent that brand. But what I'll say is I used to be a part of a blind tasting group and we used to play for money, which was awesome because like we had a set, we had a system of like point scale. So like if you could say like what the grape was, what the region was, what the sub region was like, I did this country, too. whatever, like you win money. We play for like yep. dollars. It wasn't like we were playing for like hundred dollar bills or anything. But like still, you know, I walked out there sometimes like twenty seven dollars. That's a big deal. <laughs> it's pretty good. But. One of the things that I would have to say is like when we did this tasting, everything was on the table. You could bring whatever you wanted to, right? So like sometimes it would be like first growth Bordeaux or like Grand Cru Burgundy, which would be bottles of wine that were like a thousand dollars or more a, a Grand bottle. Grand Cru Burgundy is something that I can never afford. Uh, me, ne- I mean, <laughs> me, no. ne- I'd rather go on vacation yeah, than like exactly. buy a bottle of that then wine. Buy a bottle of that but wine. I felt that. I got to tell you, like. There would be times when someone would bring in like yellowtail Chardonnay and we would blind, t- like in a, bl- you know, brown paper bag. So we had no idea what it was. And we tasted be like, this wine tastes pretty good, man. Like it's, it's balanced. You know what I mean? It's got good fruit. It's got good acid. I don't know that I could tell you a place or necessarily what the grape is, but like it tastes good. You know what I mean? It's fine. It's and for totally a $7.99 bottle of wine, you know, it's fine. It's, it's decent. perfectly fine. It's not fine. decent. It's decent. Yeah. And like, so as, as, as long as it's not wild Irish rose, then I'm with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny when I grew up. So people, people like people are like, how did you become like, they're like, so when you grew up, your parents must have had like this great wine cellar or whatever. Right. Like, no, I mean, like for me, the only time we drank wine was at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it was Ernst and Julio Gallo, like Bur- red burgundy. Oh, the big bottle. Yeah, the big bottle. Yeah, yeah, the, the big, big jug. Yeah. And so, like, I was like, no, like Rossi. Not- <laughs> yes, Carlo yeah. Rossi. Yes, yeah. Carlo Those, Rossi. That was my experience with having wine my, when I was young. Like- my, my buddies, <laughs> in their infinite wisdom of getting drunk, and this is just, and when they listen to this, they'll know exactly who I'm talking to. They say, yeah, you get Rossi, you be just right. I said, dude, you got to drink the whole bottle before you get just right. Then you got to pee every second because you can drink a gallon of water. So, no, I don't want that. Totally. Uh, totally. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, going through and having the sensory experience, bringing it down to the bare bones of so, so what we brought today is we brought 
a container of salt, a container of sugar, a container of butter, a container of vinegar, a container of hot sauce, and a container of Bragg's liquid aminos, which we're using as umame, and then I made a chinchona tea. So we're breaking this down to the brass tacks, but obviously when you're pairing, you have food that is more complicated, and I love this idea of the second sauce, because uh, as a former chef, and then someone that does wine pairing, you tend to pair towards the sauce mm -hmm. because it is the overarching thing. And especially as a vegetarian, which I've alluded to earlier, I've uh, been a vegetarian for 16 years. I went through culinary school as a vegetarian. Um, most people rely on meat to pair with wine, which is easy and kind of bullshit and just like <laughs> the easy way out. I, of course I, you there's, would there's say like that. seven types of meats. There's like four ways to prepare of them. Of course. Do that math. It's nothing. You would say that. But like if you look at like the broader aspect of, of food that is outside that. of Western culture, there's a lot of other flavors. Indian all, food. All I was going to say. All I was going to say is the flavor profiles that you have introduced me to have been phenomenal, and I would encourage anyone to step outside of their comfort zone and meet and try other food, especially vegetarian food. So you're getting all hyped up and pumped and ready to beat me up and stuff. I'm trying to give you a compliment, little dude. Chill out. <laughs> finish your, finish your statement. I love it. Again, drink what you want to drink. Eat what you want to drink. Or eat what you want to eat. Yeah, oh, eat, what eat what you want to drink. drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's, I guess, my advice at the end of the day. Eat what you want to drink. Eat what you want to drink. <laughs> so, Seb, what I want to ask you, and, and thank you for calming me down. I do get hyped up. Um, is there anything that you want to taste before we go against any of these examples? No. <laughs> <laughs> Butter was my favorite. Butter was your favorite. I already know. I feel like butter is going to be good with everything. So I disagree. Would you disagree? Let me taste one with butter, and I'll, I'll see if it's bad. What what What's the worst one with butter? Jason, which one do you think is going to be the worst one with butter? I'd probably say the rosé. Okay. But Come I know on. you already feel. I already I don't like the rosé, but rose, I want to try it. So. Let's, why not? <laughs> we're here. We're here. That's what we're here for. That's what our audience is up for the last bit of rosé the rick ross juice <laughs> look at that she even gave me a new glass just so i can really get into there not as delicious <laughs> but still delicious <laughs> So at the end of the day, happy. this is like a, a five-year-old. Butter makes it better. Butter, everything tastes better with butter. Um, my daughter would be ecstatic. She can't drink yet because she's only four. But um, we buy two things of butter. We buy regular butter just for regular stuff. And then we buy the Irish butter from like um, the organic section, the um, Kerry Gold. That's what I have right here. She, eat, that's what this is. That's mine. No wonder I like it so much. But she, she eats, she eats the, she eats this butter like it's cheese. Like she just goes. Oh, I cut it up into pieces of cheese. Just yeah. And yeah. now I'm gonna eat that. <laughs> that was a big piece of butter for. It's <laughs> like an ounce of carry gold. How's how's the rose now? Better. Buttery. <laughs> Better. I like it now. Paula Dean was right, and I don't like yeah. to give her credit. Ooh, for, I don't I like to you. give her credit for a lot, but she she the one that came up with everything better with butter. So. I think that was Julia Child. 
I it think was? it is Paula Dean. Well, I at least maybe Paula she Dean. maybe she stole it, but she definitely said. I it. mean, Julia Child did do Brandy a good favor, but maybe. Right. We'll have to oh fact my check goodness! This. The the end result of my mouth with that rose and butter. That might be the only way I can palate it now. <laughs> so we found a we found a match. We, found, we found a match. <laughs> oh, my mouth swipe is right. Swipe right on Kerrygold <laughs> and rose. <laughs> I can't wait till we get these cameras in this studio because my face, <laughs> I, know. I feel like, is amazed. There it is. There it That's is. Awesome. There's no wrong way to do this. Jason, thank you so, so much for coming thank on you. the show and blessing us with all of these divine pairings. Um, I would have never thought of anything like this. Ambrosia, thank you for having the connects to get it done. So with that being said, you have anything left, ma'am? I don't think I have anything left. Jason, do you have anything that you want to add? No, I don't think so. I'm good. It's keep been a great conversation. Keep, keep ta- tasting. Keep, keep, keep trying. Drinking. Be experimental. Yeah. And with that being said, we'll talk to you later. You, you start. Oh, you want me to do this? this yes. Time. All right. So let us know what you think. What libation should we dive into next? Comment, ask questions, anything at all. You can reach us at designateddrinkerspodcast at gmail.com. Instagram is at the designated drinkers podcast. Twitter at the drinkers podcast. Facebook one day. That's on you, Seb. Yes. And on me, visit our website, designateddrinkerspodcast.com, for photos of today's booze, cocktails, articles, and more. And with that being said, talk to you later. Cheers. Cheers.